Welcome to the broadcast of Better Together, Democrats and Republicans, Season 1, Episode 9. <clears throat> so I'm going to be addressing one of the main topics in the headlines today, but really it's been one of the main topics in the headlines since uh, Roe v. Wade was passed, and most likely prior, that of reproductive rights. Um, my party, the Democratic Party, stance on it, the Republican Party's ununified stance on it, even though it appears unified. Uh, there are plenty of Republicans who are pro-choice, but uh, and that uh, there's an equal, if not significant, uh, force of Republicans that are Republicans because of uh, religious right. So I'm going to go over it, some themes, some suggestions, what I think could be the solutions. Um, anything controversial, and definitely the issue of abortion, or state-funded abortion, or federally-funded abortion, is controversial. I think we can all agree on that. And my definition of controversial is that both sides are right. Both sides have points to be made and are correct, in part. And the challenge is, with anything controversial, trying to provide equity and respect freedom and maintain rights, and it's certainly not an easy task to do. So I'll start with my position. My position is I am pro-choice, though I am a fervent believer in Jesus and actively um, religious, if one wants to call it that. And I want to talk about how I justify my pro-choice beliefs. One of the most, and I'll go into that in a minute, but first I want to dovetail Nancy Pelosi, the, uh, uh, the Democratic leader of the House, uh, has come under recent fire for her outspoken pro-choice stance, as well as her maintaining that she's an uh, obedient Catholic at which the Archdiocese, um, Archbishop, rather, of San Francisco, particularly where she's from, is uh, challenging that. So the Archbishop of San Francisco is saying, no, you're not. Nancy, if you are a believer in abortion of any type, then you are not an obedient Catholic. You are betraying the faith and you have no... Catholic values, to which she rebuttals, I do have Catholic values. I do believe, perhaps for herself, in uh, pro-life, but I cannot make that decision and supersede my religious beliefs and impose it upon others. So, is Nancy an obedient Catholic? I think for herself, she's an obedient Catholic. Is she proselytizing and uh, converting and uh, acting as a missionary for the Catholic Church for her role in office and public service? No, she's not. She's respecting the boundaries. She's respecting the, the boundaries of church and state that are set up to protect both. Yeah. 
So I disagree with your archbishop, and I would say that though he perceives any uh, allowance of abortion to be anti-Catholic, Nancy is not saying she's going to go run out and have an abortion. I mean, she's past it now, but, I, you know, perhaps for herself, she would be pro-life, but she is not taking the extra step, and then they're forcing her religious beliefs on others. Okay. So, I admire Nancy for her boldness, for her setting an example for other Catholics to look to, to go, yes, it's not our place to enforce our religion on other people. Our Catholicism is our Catholicism. It is not our place to uh, put that out on others who don't share the faith or are no part of the faith. You know, I think had we had that attitude, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but had they had that attitude, you know, how different the story would have unfolded with the history of the Catholic missions in California, right? We just were finishing up the episodes of the Native American episodes I was talking about, about Native American justice. Well, imagine if the conquistadores and other uh, Spanish conquerors that worked their way up through and... uh, you know, the Catholic missions were formed in California and the history of the treatment of the Native American tribes in establishing those missions were horrendous treatment, abuse, um, whipping, starving, very punitive. Um, And the attitude of the Catholic missionaries of that time was the body is nothing, flesh is nothing. They didn't have medicine. They didn't have long lifespans. You know, if you were lucky to make it to about 30, 35 years old, you know, and so everything was focused about the soul, not about the flesh, not about the life, not about living in the body. So they justified ill treatment, Catholic missionaries of the establishing the California missions um, by you know, justifying that they're doing God's work to save the souls of the Native Americans who they considered savages, pagan worshipers, um, and enforced. So let's just say, you know, not only the Catholics, but Catholics have a history of enforcing their religious belief on other people historically in this country and in in California especially. Um, And... The Native Americans needed food in in times where it was scarce and needed some resources, but they didn't need to be, you know, unwillfully converted by the methods that were employed. But when you come from a position where the soul is everything and the body is nothing, you can do great evil and justify it in the name of God and justify it in the name of Jesus. And you can quote scripture. I've read the Bible. I'm now on my fifth reading through from cover to cover. Most haven't read it once. I've read it four times going on five. Because there's always something new to learn. Because it's a living document. It's alive. It teaches you as you are growing in wisdom throughout your different decades of life. More truth is revealed. It's an epic masterpiece. Yeah. Patriarchal. Um, Debatable. There's a lot of um, focus on Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, 
Ruth and a lot of biblical characters, and especially in the Old Testament as well, even mention of prophetesses that give question to strict patriarchal point of view. Yes, they were mostly men who wrote the Bible, okay, but and men that were educated and few at that. But there's little clues within the Bible, even of their understanding of these male authors in the in the divine feminine and God and Jesus' perspective and view about women. So patriarchy, yes, but never criticize the Bible without at least reading it through once, I say. Otherwise, you're coming from a place of ignorance and hearsay. And the 700 Club is no excuse for cracking it open and reading the epic work yourself. Okay, that being said, back to reproductive rights. So Nancy comes from a legacy in her faith of belonging to the Catholic Church that does not have the shiniest history in California um, with the Native Americans. Imposing was the name of the day. So this archbishop, from his point of view, is commissioned to uphold the sanctity of the Catholic Church, is commissioned to adhere to the values of the Catholic Church and the Vatican. Um, Understandable for the Church. But remember, this is America. In America, we separate Church and State. Again, for the protection of both. And when there's infringement, it gets messy. So... How do we reconcile this? Christians abound in America of all different Protestant, Catholic, Mormon, uh, different Christian sects. um, Lots of religions here that are either pro-choice or pro-life or we're somewhere in the middle, some that impose upon others, some that don't. What's to be done to make sense of this? And what is true equity? for America to have regarding abortion and policy and funding. I have answers. I've thought about this a long time, many decades. And also as a Christian, because I wasn't raised one, I became an adult convert by the Holy Spirit. And so I had to then really incorporate and learn what my position should be in addition to what it was organically prior and reconcile myself. So I've done the hard work. I've pondered, believe me. I've also talked with people that have had abortions. I've talked to Christian ministries that were not the pushy abortion clinic burning types, but actually were the kind types that have had abortions themselves in their youth and regretted it and decided to open missionaries, (coughs) excuse me, open a Uh, ministry to at least be able to counsel women that were contemplating abortions to have someone to talk to to discuss the options not to ram it down their throat not to make decisions for them but to share their stories in an environment of a religious faith-based context to give some encouragement I thought that was very nice that I got to meet women that had been through it had regretted it and wanted to at least have the opportunity to um, talk with other women who may have been open to, you know, the discussions or not, but certainly better than, you know, back in the 90s when abortion clinics were being bombed and there was real bloodshed. I don't know that that's happening now, but that's what when I was in high school, 
that was actively happening. Um, it was an all-out war from the religious right. Now it's still an all-out war, but it's through the courts, not so much abortion bombing. So, <coughs> here's the issue. Democrats of all spectrums from the far left to the centrists understand that our party values are about pro-choice. Not necessarily pro-abortion, but pro-choice, meaning that it is not our place to decide for anyone what they should do with the body that embodies life and it is not our place to dictate to another American citizen or infringe upon their freedom to um, terminate a pregnancy or not or to or to carry it to term it's just simply not our place it's not our decision the consequences are not ours the involvement was not ours. It is it is the upholding of separation of church and state. That we are unified on um, within the Democratic Party. Regardless of individual Democrats who would never have an abortion. They would never also impose it on other people. So um, that is one of the few points that we are unified on as a party. Okay, the Republicans are uh, different. So many Republicans are Republicans because of the business, finance, because of um, military, other reasons, and there's the religious right that are mostly Republicans solely because of the abortion issue. So it's very much different on the Republican side of the tracks. They don't have unity about this. Um, there's pl- Even Trump, I believe, was saying he was pro-life. Sorry, pro-choice. Um, when prior to running for the president, he was openly pro-choice as a as a very staunch Republican businessman. Okay, so this is not a singular. That's not just an anomaly. Trump represents a section, um, so that should be understood. It isn't a concrete, solidified party value, but it is very dominant, and the ones that are very Uh, passionate about it and pro-life are very passionate about it Um, which is hypocrisy in some ways to the democrats who don't understand well if you're so passionate about life and you want life to be preserved at all costs even if cases of rape and if it may kill the mother and all of these you're upholding the sanctity of the cell division above all else and then once that baby is born, you don't support the social programs that can actually support the life. This is confusing to the democratic mind. They don't understand, my party does not understand the seeming um, hypocrisy, well, hypocrisy really, of if you care, what do you care about and how much do you care and why do you cut off the care the minute the baby is born? I mean, WIC programs, you know, uh, aid to mothers. These are all democratically funded programs. Very, very um, considerate, you know, um, preschool programs, um, Head Start. All of these social, quote, unquote, programs are caring for the, the infant, caring for the child, the toddler. So 
Democrats have a hard time understanding why Republicans care so much about the cell division and don't care so much about once the child is out. As if somehow, well, now you're out, now it's just, you know, whatever God decides to do with your life. They're interested in preserving the sanctity of life, but they're not interested in preserving the quality of life. It, it is fascinating to a Democrat. Uh, I even still have a hard time. I understand the Republican mindset is like, well, that's where our responsibility ends because it's not for us to say, you know, who should be getting what, what, where it's, it's like, but then is it for you to say that they should also not get an abortion? Like it, these crossover themes are tricky. Yeah. But they're very solidified. You know where people stand about pro-life, pro-choice. But when you look deeper, there are some crossover hypocrisies. So the Republicans may think, well, geez, you Democrats care so much about pre-K and you care so much about health care and all of these things and you don't care about this upholding the sanctity of life itself. Maybe to the Republican mind that makes us look nuts. Who knows? Um, this is why it's controversial. It's not an easy solution. It's, it's, it's unclear. But what we do know in America is we value separation of church and state. And when we stop valuing that and we start valuing church more than state, then it gets messy. Because we are not a Christian nation. We are a nation which inhabits many Christians, of one I, which I am one. I'm Episcopalian. And I was Baptist prior to that. Um, you know, but we are not a Christian nation. We are a colony nation of many different religions and no religions. Atheists abound. And we are not a Christian nation. Um, you don't have to, when you sign up to become an American citizen, swear an oath of allegiance to the church and Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not a requirement to become an American citizen. If it was, then we would indeed be a Christian nation. We're not that. And yet when we act like we are in our Supreme Court nominees and our policies and, and the legal system, it's it, it's very messy and disenfranchising and intruding to the freedoms of others. So I do think a lot of Republicans do struggle with this and do understand that because they're supposedly all about freedom. So they do understand this, but they just can't get past the sanctity and sacredness of the cell division. Um, so... If we're just talking about cells and division in life and quantity, um, certainly one cell dividing into two at the beginning of a, of a gestation process is, you know, quite different than the bacteria in our mouth, which are, have much more cells. You know, if you hadn't brushed your teeth in a day or something, you probably have more cells of bacteria. I would guess, is that cells or is that just bacteria? Wait, <laughs> I might be mixing up my metaphors, sorry. You know, the bottom line is 
we'd have more cells and probably any other organ of ours than we would in that initial division. But it's the sanctity and it's the sacredness of that division process that's being um, focused on and upheld. So then it comes into, well, where, who is to determine when life really begins? Does life begin at conception? Does life begin at six weeks, as Texas has decided, because that's when the heart first starts beating? And that's an actual organ. It's the heart. It's a thing. It's going to create the rest of the being. So they determined at six weeks, life begins. So you can have an abortion in Texas up to six weeks, which is not long. That's one missed period, and you might be curious about if you are pregnant, it usually takes a couple months, eight weeks to, to three, you know, eight weeks to 12. Um, but for Texas, it's eight, it's six weeks because of that definitive marker of, okay, here is an organ. It's beating. This is life. Prior to that, questionable. Okay. What about the soul? When does it incarnate into the, uh, the living human. Incarnate, I'm not necessarily speaking about reincarnation, though I know many people believe in reincarnation. I'm talking about incarnation as in the inserting of the soul could be from God, you know, to the actual, the bestowing of the soul from God to the actual life. When does that happen? At conception? At six weeks? We don't know. I mean, it may be six weeks. Um, it may be what? When the brain forms and there's a sense of self in the womb. I can only speak for myself that I remember actually being in my mother's womb. I do have that type of memory. And I remember coming to consciousness in the womb. And I remember hearing a voice saying, I love you, I will always be with you, I will never leave you. And I believe it was the voice of God. It was masculine, it was sovereign, it was majest- It was full of majesty, and I was scared to death. <laughs> kind of all of the signs that would point to the Almighty. That was my first memory in life. I share about that on my website. Uh, not everybody's experience, but it was mine. And I remember feeling terrified, somehow understanding this language, even though I was an infant inside my mother's body. But obviously this this power out there, which would be God, you know, or my guardian angel, could speak to me, this infant inside, in a way that I could understand through the language of whatever. Um, saying, I love you, I will never leave you, I will always be with you. Three things, three promises. Yeah, powerful. And I was scared, startled, and then reassured at the same time. And then I don't remember being born because I had C-section, and I don't really remember much of anything else about that in terms of the birth process. No, but I do remember that, my first con. So I, I must have, I, don't, I mean, I think I had a, at least eyes formed because I remember looking around. Was that the incarnation process when God bestowed the soul to the flesh? I don't know. Maybe. Because we don't know, this is the reason and the rationale for why 
um, the religious right is so zealous about life begins at conception because they don't know and they don't want to mess with that. They just want to go, well, it could be then. So we just don't want to have anything to do with interrupting the will of God for this life. Um, and again, if we were a Christian nation, then maybe they'd have the right to impose reproductive rights. But we are not a Christian nation. One could say, well, we were founded by the Puritans and the pilgrims. We were founded by religious zealots. That's absolutely true. And also colonial merchants. But we don't have in our constitution that we are a Christian nation. We are one nation under God. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean Christian. Can mean Muslim, can mean Jewish, can mean a lot of different other religions. So, I don't believe there's the word Jesus in the Constitution. So the separation of church and state was very important to the founding fathers as a precedent amongst even those very religious. Okay, so then Republicans go, well, what are we going to do? Like, I... We can't give up on this because this is our calling. This is why we're in the Republican Party. We want to make sure that abortions are limited by any means possible. So let's just make them outlawed. Let's make them illegal. Well, science knows and shows that that does not result in reducing abortions. The one truth is, is that abortions have always happened, are happening, will always happen regardless of human laws. The only difference is, is will they be able to happen safely in a medically supervised environment or will they be in a back alley and unsafe or by people that aren't trained or by herbalists and ancient cultures that may have some way to know to induce abortion but maybe they wouldn't know how to properly take care of the entire event. Or maybe they would. But the bottom line is it's not going to stop abortions. No human law, whether instituted by man or woman, um, is going to stop that outcome. So Democrats understand this. And that's why we are against these laws that infringe reproductive rights. Because we know they're going to continue. And it's just going to end up in more murder. With the mother's life being endangered. Additionally to the fetus so if at least it it has to happen at least it can be happening in a supervised medical environment to limit death total count total body count okay a huge percentage of those who actually go to seek abortions are in fact christians and are in fact republicans or come from republican families this is widely known you know, preaching abstinence is one way to inform about birth control, but it's not effective, right? Improper sex education was definitely the way of my generation in high school. We didn't have any proper sex education. I had sixth grade where it was just um, reproduction education of just how to make a baby. But there was no real quality in-depth sex education of any value. There was no breakout sessions. There was no groups to discuss. It was just, you know, very, very anatomical and distributed to us. We had to have waivers to even be able to receive that. We had to have sign-offs on our pa- from our parents. It's when I was 12 and 6th grade in like the late 80s. 
And that was even the big hot topic was, was it the school's place to teach any type of sex education or shouldn't that be relegated to the parents? That was the Republicans argument at the time. And the result was, well, it, sh- it should be, but it isn't. So there needs to be, you know, con- insurance that assurance, ins- <laughs> there needs to be assurance that it's getting taught. So, but that was the smoke and mirrors. Oh, well, this should really be from the family, not from the government, you know. And it was a whole thing at the time. And nowadays there's quality sex education. There's demonstrating of how to put a condom on over a cucumber, I believe, or a banana. I mean, we didn't have any of that. (laughs) That would have been very radical (laughs) for late 80s. (laughs) I mean, we didn't have any of that. And abstinence was the dominant. <laughs> I mean, this was a George Bush senior, remember? Okay. Um, so, you know, sex education has come a long way, but reproductive rights still have not come a long way. And we see some backsliding. And I, I have to give the Republicans credit. Either they're watching the clock really carefully, but they always seem to get in their Supreme Court justices just when they need to. So I have to just side note here. Is this just a Democratic lax of observation? Because it seems that the Republicans are super on top of it. And whenever there's an, a vacant p- position, they manage to get their own in there. So are we just out to lunch in the Democratic Party? Ruth Bader Ginsburg was our only hope. Like what... What are are we watching the clock as carefully? Are we promoting as much as they are? Or it just seems like it's just always timed for them to get these Supreme Court justices that are appointees for life. And they successfully do it. So why is that? Are we not focusing enough? What's happening on the Democratic side? I don't know the answer to that. I'm just posing a question on that. But what would be an equitable solution? Should we leave it up to state by state? That's been one option. It's just, well, you know, we don't have consensus. We never will. It's too controversial. There can't be a federal mandate or a federal policy. Um, so just state by, we'll leave it up to the states. Or I believe our other socialist allied countries are federally mandated where you can have a safe abortion in anywhere of their land. Okay. Um But in America, you have to know your state's rules. So that's an appeasement. That's an appeasement by the politicians to say, well, we don't want to ruffle feathers with our constituents so much. So we'll just we'll just see what the climate is in the different areas of the states. And we'll policize around that. Okay, but that's not helpful for the individual that wants the abortion that's needed maybe by rape and maybe by incest, um, that doesn't want to be a mother, um, have to drive super far to be able to get a medically safe abortion if they can even afford it, so to speak, which then dovetails into the issue of funding. So a lot of Republicans, even some religious right, I'll have you know, would actually be fine with a federal mandate, not a federal mandate, a federal, uh, well, I guess it would be a mandate of a federally sanctioned uh, pro-choice law of the land. If they didn't have to pay for it out of their tax dollars, this is a big sticking point with the Republican Party. 
They don't want their tax dollars and any, not one single penny going to the, uh, any type of medical abortion. And if it was actually not made public, but actually it was, if all abortions were privatized and Republicans could have 100% assurance that none of their tax dollars would go to fund abortions, actually you'd see quite a lot of forward motion into a more federally sanctioned plan like our socialist allies. They just don't want to have their name associated with it. All right, I hope this is the second segment. I'm a little foggy on this type of recording uh, platform. There's no pause. You have to do everything in one take. I don't know, Anchor. I think add a pause button would be nice. But anyhow, so we ended off by saying, you know, a lot of, well, I don't know that a lot of Democrats understand this, but you you should understand that a lot of Republicans would be pro-choice if they had absolute guarantee to know that not one single penny of their dollars in taxes were going to fund abortions, um, then they would actually uh, be fine with it being a federally um, approved, sanctioned uh, policy like our socialist allies. It's, it's their hang-up with not wanting their dollars to go to this because it violates their personal religious principles. And they, in their view, you know, have to pick a side between church and state, and they're going to pick church, you know, and understandably so. I I can empathize with that to some degree, you know, Um, but at the same time, um, there are solutions for this. This is reformable. And here's my answer to this. Here's my answer to the solutions of this controversy known as, you know, pro-life, pro-choice in America and what do we do about it? You know, so let's talk about, of course, there would have to be, I'm sure they have the data already to be able to ascertain how much would it cost to switch from a public health funded system that funds abortions to some degree to a purely private system. What am I getting at? So that all abortions in America would be sanctioned and allowed, but it would have to be privately funded. By who? Well, various organizations, Planned Parenthood, um, a new type of organization set up by Democratic, wealthy Democrats that would more than be able to help fund it. And it would be public, it would be privately funded, not publicly funded, like getting your teeth cleaned or getting um, a checkup from your doctor. Those would be under the realm of health and public health, but reproductive um, termination of pregnancy would fall under a privatized system of donations from very benevolent um, Democrats, mostly, and also Trump and those those Republicans that have been on record to be pro-choice. Wouldn't just be Democrats. It could be anyone, independents. People that would want to have this made available to everyone in the country, but it would free up the said Republicans that have really strong 
moral convictions to not want to be part of this to be opted out. Now, the question would be, if that were to pass, you know, could that, would the funding be enough? Would we have enough funding? If we didn't make it public and we made it private, if we made it publicly accessible but privately funded for this controversial topic of abortion in America, would, would there be enough money? I would say yes. I don't have the data in front of me, but I can say there's plenty of wealthy Democrats that are so passionate about being pro-choice. Different women's groups, obviously, of course. Um, the LGBT community and others that would absolutely uh, be able to pick up the bill for this and not have to force public money for it. So I, I, I donate to Planned Parenthood because I support women's health and a very small percentage of it does go toward providing healthy abortions and I don't have a problem with that. Imagine with that on a grander scale of that type of service being the service, being the option, made available in all 50 states, but not under public money. Private donations. You know? Or special public laws that would enfranchise those who wanted to individually, you know, you know how you have in your, you know, you can do a last minute donation at the end of the year for your taxes if you want to get, you know, reduce your tax burden and, and give to charity. You know, you can fill out that, you know, you get a, a tax ID status where it's a charity and you can write it off at the end of your taxes. We could do the same thing for, you know, donating to the cause of making abortions free, safe, and legal in all 50 states kind of the same way. I mean, we already are doing that with Planned, planned Parenthood, okay, which is obviously not a mandated, that's not coming out of tax dollars, that's private donations, but that kind of idea where it could still go through a public um, venue, but only for those who wanted to support that could do that. I mean, I would say, I don't know if the private organizations like Planned Parenthood would be, you know, more efficient with the money than, say, a public plan. Government's not always the most efficient or financially, um, you know, responsible. So maybe private donations like Planned Parenthood and those the kind of organizations would be ensuring better quality service to the people that but a public option could happen it just couldn't be something that would have to mandate republican dollars that from those said republicans that don't support abortion again many do many who are republicans because of the military the business you know they're not in it because of religious reasons would be fine donating and probably would to avoid their other constituents having to wrestle with us so we're actually really talking about a small infringement of this minority of the religious right who really, really, really oppose it and who don't want it funded by their tax dollars. And some don't want it at all, even if they didn't contribute two pennies to it. But a lot of the religious right in that camp, I don't know exactly how many, but would be further pacified if they at least didn't have to pay for that. So then you'd have only left the handful of absolute zealots that don't want it anywhere, anyhow, no matter who's paying for it, charity or otherwise. And that's just not most of America. 
And that's not most of Republicans. Okay. So that's my solution to this debacle of reproductive rights. We would and should have, um, as our allied countries have, uh, abortion safe and legal in all 50 states. You don't have to drive to another state, another county, another. You should be able to have it anywhere in your own town. Um, but I don't think that religious. Um, you should be able to get a religious exemption from paying for it if it's really going against your personal beliefs. That's a fair compromise, is it not? And it could be funded, and it could be paid for, and it could be piloted, and it would be successful. And there's enough wealthy Democrats to make it happen. And wealthy Republicans out there that make it happen. You know. Maybe this is what it's all leading to. Maybe the way that these justices are getting appointed and all this finagling to, you know, pack the courts with these lifetime appointed of religious right-wingers um, can be changed with this idea. It is a personal decision. So how do I personally reconcile this with God? Well, again, I'm in a country, right? I'm in a country. I'm, in a, I'm a citizen of the U.S. It's not a Christian nation. Um, I don't have any right to tell an atheist Muslim or um, any other religion or no religion what they should do with their reproductive decisions. So I know I would be accountable for my own, but I wouldn't be accountable for anyone else's. Um, that to me is overreach and that to me is playing God responsible for yourself you're not responsible for the decisions of other people and other dynamics that are not your family and are not your business and well-meaning or not well-intended or not it's just simply not the place of someone to decide for someone else so religious zealots Say, well, what about the life and the voice of the infant? Who is speaking up for the infant? Who is speaking up for the the abortion to to happen? You know, what about their voice? The life of that unborn child? Who is advocating for that creation? To which I would say, if you believe in God and you believe in reproduction and how it's designed, then you have to go with reproduction how it's designed it's not designed to be a symbiotic experience between two people it's designed to be an encounter experience between two people but a gestational process that's residing in one because it's a gestational process residing in one it's up to that person who's gestating to make those decisions I'm not against Christian counselors that want to have the opportunity to, to talk to and listen to, as long as it's not brainwashing, but to talk to and listen to and share their stories. For those women that are unclear about what to do, un, would like to hear various input, would like to hear different kinds of feedback, good, bad, and indifferent. 
Um, and then the question is, well, at what point should abortion be allowed and when should it be cut off? When is it too late? When have you when have you had enough time to reach a decision and you haven't? So obviously, I'm not for late-term abortions. I'm not for, if you're eight months in, no, you don't get to decide to do with what you want with your own body. Absolutely not. Um, very few are for that. There are some over, overly zealous that are for that. That's an abuse. Obviously, it's an infant in there at eight months. No, you don't get to commit infanticide because you couldn't make up your mind in month two, month three, month four. So I'm not for any type of late-term abortions. No. Um, I think within the, the first three months, you should have a pretty good idea. I also believe that there should be um, available free of cost. And again, this could be privately funded. Well, this could be privately and publicly funded because pregnancy tests are not indicative of a decision. They're just pregnancy tests. So public health could provide women who are suspicious that they could be pregnant with pre-pregnancy test, urine test to just check, you know, and then you would know, you know, even if you miss two periods, you know, and you check and then, you know, well, then you'd have the, the month to d make the decision. And no, you don't have endless time to make a decision to what to do with your own body. No, that would be an abuse of freedom. This is supposed to be a balance. Okay, so I'm trying to think if I've covered any and all points. Yeah, I'm not responsible. Just as anyone else, like I'm, a, I'm born again and I am Episcopalian Church um, affiliate and I don't give account to what someone else does in their life. I, you know, Jesus is the judge, not myself, not others. So in my belief, you know, we all give an account to God and my belief. Others don't believe that. That's fine. Um, I, I joined a, I went from an evangelical denomination of the Baptist to a non-evangelical denomination of Episcopalian. So, my, my how I rationalize and, and justify my beliefs is that I'm not going to be giving an account for somebody else's journey. We're all going to be given our own account for our own journey with God at the end, the judgment day, so to speak. And um, it's not for me to interfere or to also assume that I would be held accountable for your life, your decisions. Right. So I can't think of really... Any other thing I haven't covered already. I don't think that Democrats really fully understand that many Republicans would be on board with pro-choice if they didn't have to pick up the bill for that. I don't think that's widely understood. Um, I don't know that the arguments that are being pitched, which I understand, you know, it's, it, it hits women's rights, it hits women's, you know, women's liberties and other, you know, women's infringement upon their, and the patriarchy and all of this, like, these are all themes that definitely play a role in the, in the, in the outcomes of these policies. But I think it's, it's not bringing, I haven't heard anyone bring up the topic of, well, Republicans just don't want to pay for it. So how can we get them to not have to pay for it? I haven't heard that. 
So I wanted to not broaden the argument to not just be about infringement on women's rights and women's freedoms, but also in, you know, um, divesting from the need for those against and their public dollars. You know, we're just not that desperate where we have to rely on public money for 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 abortions. We we really aren't. You know, we really would have enough. So that isn't discussed. And now if we're too cheap to to do this, then that's a problem. You know, like then then it comes down to well, okay, if we're for women's rights, then how much really are we for women's rights? You know, um sure it may be easier and an already there to support it through a public system, but you know, that's not the only option. And if the outcome will ensure safe legal abortions in all 50 states by switching it up and making it a privatized situation or, a pub, you know, a, a privatized donation organization running it and managing it so, you know, countrywide, then Democrats should be flexible and should allow for this and allow those Republicans who just can't stomach it to opt out. Then they have no complaints left. Their tax dollars aren't going for it. They're no in no way part of it. Freedom is maintained. And there we have it. Um, I think this is a viable solution. I don't think I've heard a solution like this before out there. Um, I don't think the constant squabbling and fighting is really doing anything. I don't think Democrats are winning, so to speak, the way it's going. So can we be open to this idea? I hope. Well, I thought I would talk on this because it is one of the topics right now. Again, I mean, it's it's an old topic, but it's getting resurged again and that was my, this is my solution. I'm, I like finding solutions for things. I don't like just wigging out on the problems and making fun of other parties. It gets tiring. You know, it's fun to find answers too. <laughs> you know, not just, and not just in your own little framework, but like coming out and going, this is a, you know, diverse nation with a lot of different views that are flying around in here, but we are not a Christian nation, you know, and, you know, definitely it seems that that's being lost and that doesn't go well historically. All right. Thank you.